to Livingstone Calvary Chapel. Glad you guys are here with us this morning. Thanks for being here. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, we're going to open up our Bible to Mark chapter 4. That's where we're going to be at this morning. I just want to give thanks to Martin who filled in for me last week. And um, I want to preempt his preemptive strike. Any questions on his teaching regarding the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit can be redirected to Martin. So, no, if you guys do have any questions about that, it is that he taught that passage of Scripture with truth and with grace. And uh, I was really appreciative of that. So, um, there's some announcements this morning I'm going to bring to your attention. The, the, the most important one here, guys, is um, we changed the men's retreat up a little bit. So it's not going to be the third week of April for you guys who had daughters that were going to go to daddy-daughter dance and not men's retreat. Now you have no excuse because you can go to daddy-daughter dance and then men's retreat the weekend following. So it's going to be April 29th through May 1st. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we actually have been able to make the cost a little cheaper, $175. Um, we will be offering transportation in both the vans here that we have at the church for us all to go up together. Part of the reason why is, is because the retreat is going to be held in Fraser, Colorado. And it's about a three and a half hour drive, and so we'll be able to commute up there and back together. Uh, but the cool thing about it is, is we were invited to be a part of the regional, the Calvary Chapel Regional Men's Retreat. So we're going to be partnering with other uh, men from Calvary chapels throughout Colorado and um, having a retreat together. So um, it's going to be a great opportunity to, to be encouraged by other, other men in the Lord, not only within our fellowship, but the, the greater church as a whole. And so please uh, sign up for that. Um, the sign-up sheet is on the uh, information counter there. And so there's not, is there, is there a limit or not? Did they say, so we can bring 100 guys. Yeah, so, okay. All right, so please sign up. We'd love to have you guys come. Also, men's breakfast, time of uh, teaching and worship and uh, Bible study and fellowship, food. Uh, men's breakfast, March 12th here, Saturday, March 12th at 8.30 a.m. All right. So last weekend, we had um, uh, Winter National with a youth, youth retreat that we do here, uh, partner with uh, other churches in the community. We take our own youth ministry here, junior high and high schoolers, as well as kids from the Bridge Youth Center, and then partner with, was there four other churches, Paul? Is that what it was? Yeah, four other churches. It's a great, it's a really cool thing to see the churches in the community coming together to be the body of Christ and to meet the needs in our community. And so Paul, who is our youth leader I'm gonna, and director of the Bridge Youth Center, I'm going to have him come up and give a report on how that went. So if you welcome Paul. All right, for those of you guys who don't know me, my name is Paul Inger. I'm the youth leader here as well as the director of The Bridge. Um, and we had a fantastic time at Winter National last weekend. So I want to give you guys a couple statistics and then a couple stories about what happened. Um, and also just a thank you. So first I want to start off, and I want to say thank you guys for your support of Winter National. Um, we couldn't have made it possible this year without the financial support that the church offered, um, the prayers that you guys offered up for us, and just the way that you continue to support um, the church means a lot and makes it possible for our ministry to go up and do things. And so the stats is we had 110 students that went with us from six different ministries. Um, but the cool thing was is that even with all those stats, there was one gospel message preached. Um, 
What I think is so cool is the thing that the Lord kept bringing back to my mind as I was there and as I was interacting with students and talking with other leaders and talking with other youth pastors in the community that went with us. And even this past week, as I've reflected back on what God did that weekend, the big thing that, that I saw is that there was so many breakthroughs for students um, and breakthroughs in so many different ways. And so there were some students that went up who were very grounded in their faith and have walked with the Lord for many years. But there are also students who went who didn't have a great relationship with the Lord or who maybe were completely estranged from knowing Jesus and having a relationship with him. And so it was so cool to interact with students and see that every student took different steps um, in their walk with the Lord. Maybe it was um, on Saturday night. Maybe it was they, they went up during the altar call and gave their life to the Lord for the first time. I know two students specifically who, who did that, and that's, a, that's something worth celebrating right there. Um, two students, yeah, two students who went up and gave their lives to the Lord. Um, from, from our ministry personally, I, I haven't talked with the other youth pastors yet. We're going to evaluate next week. But there are also lots of students who, who are asking really hard questions about what it means to have a relationship with the Lord, what it means to, to know God as creator. Um, I remember there was one girl that I was talking with as we were walking from the cafeteria or from the dining hall to the chapel where we were doing session, and she just had so many questions about God, and she was just asking and firing away at me rapid fire. And I didn't even have a chance to answer. But it's so cool to know that these students are, are having opportunity um, to ask these questions and to go on the retreat um, and, and just be a part of what God is doing and get to hear from the Lord and get to grow in their relationship with him. And like I said, all that couldn't be possible without you guys. Um, the exciting thing is, is that we are, we are a body together. And as I, as I put notes together for getting up here to share with you guys, um, Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 12 kept coming to mind that, that we, are, we are one body, right? We're many members. There's so many different members in the body of Christ, but we are one body. Um, and it takes all of us to, to do this, to have 110 kids and 20-something leaders go up to retreat. Um, your guys' support means so much. The, and so I want to thank you guys for if you were a part of the burrito fundraiser and you supported that, or if you um, gave financially through scholarships, or if you spent time in prayer for us, I want to thank you guys all. I want to thank the whole congregation for being supportive in that. I also want to thank the, the parents um, who were willing to send your kids up with a young youth pastor and entrusting me and my leaders with your kids for the weekend. That, that doesn't go unnoticed and that doesn't go unappreciated. And I appreciate you guys being willing to do that. Um, and I also want to thank uh, the different leaders that went with us as well. Um, but ultimately, this couldn't be possible without the church. Um, the weekend of Winter National was supported by you guys, and I, I appreciate that so much. And so I just want to thank you guys for your investment in the lives of the youth um, that the Lord has called us as a church to minister to. Because it's not just me that ministers to them. It's not just my leaders that minister to them. It's the whole church. And maybe you might be indirectly supporting us, but there are so many different ways um, that, that the Lord has blessed the youth ministry and the church through the congregation. So I want to thank you guys for that. So that's the update on Winter National. Um, Sean also gave me um, opportunity to share a little bit about the bridge as well. But I have notes up here, so I don't go too long, because you guys are here to hear God's word talk, not hear me talk. So, but I do want to share about Bridge Bash 2022. Um, so if you don't know what Bridge Bash is, the Bridge Youth Center down on Main Street, every year we do an annual fundraiser. And that is um, the fundraiser we invite the community in to experience what the bridge is about. Uh, we get adults in there to see what do kids experience on a daily basis at the bridge. And... So I'd love for you guys to, to be a part of that. Um, the church is such an awesome place and a, a great group of people that can begin to promote that and help, help me and my team so we aren't just doing it alone. And so there's a, 
bunch of different ways you can partner with us in that. Um, the, the specifics of the event this year is it's April 9th from 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock p.m. Um, and our theme is Survivor. And so we're going to have a hard emphasis on Survivor-style games and helping you guys experience the different types of group and team games that students would experience when they come down to the bridge on a regular basis. So if you haven't been down to the bridge, I do want to say even outside of Bridge Bash, if you want to come check us out on an afternoon, um, you can find our, all of our information about when we're open online at bridgecanyoncity.com. Um, but there's a great, um, it's a great place for students to come down and just experience the love of Christ being poured out on them, um, even if they aren't Christians. We don't expect kids to be believers in order to come, but we, at the very core, are a safe place for students to come and build a relationship um, with leaders and other students, and ultimately our desire is that they would build a relationship with the Lord. So ways you can get involved with Bridge Bash is you can purchase a ticket and come down the night of the event to see what the ministry is all about. A couple of my staff and I will be outside after service um, with a table set up where you can actually purchase tickets today. Um, cost is $25 a ticket. Um, if you want to support more than that, you can take a flyer and pass the word along to others in your sphere of influence who might be willing to support us. Now, that idea of sphere of influence I think is so cool because there are people that you guys will touch individually that I will never contact and never get to know. Um, and so I think that's an awesome opportunity for us as a church to support the work of the Lord through the ministry of the bridge in that way. Another way is you can invite community members or business owners to purchase tickets and come be a part of what we're doing. I, my desire is that the ministry not just be something that is supported by our church or just by a small sphere, but I really want, to, because we are out there serving the community, I want the community to know what we're about and how they can get behind us as we pursue what the Lord is calling us to do. Um, uh, finally, you can, you can sign up to help serve, be a part of the child care the day before or the night of. Um, there are so many different ways that you can be a part of helping with uh, this event, but also just serving at the bridge in general. So if you have any questions about that, I'd love for you to come up and talk with me after service. I'll be available out here at the table. Um, but again, I just want to thank you guys for the support that you already have given. I know that there's so many in this audience um, who are very passionate about the ministry of serving youth in our community. And so I want to thank you guys for the work you're doing. So God bless you guys. There is hope for this next generation in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. So um, two, two things to let you know. That, that uh, Survivor Night um, fundraiser is actually a banquet. Uh, Virgil is going to be barbecuing up pulled pork. So we'll be serving up pulled pork and all the fixings that go alongside with that. Um, so it's not only an opportunity to come and support the bridge and learn more about it. It's come to get some of Virgil's good cooking too. So you don't want to miss that. Um, and then I also another, I want to give you a warning. If you go to the Bridge Bash and you decide that you want to experience some of the games that these kids played down there, um, a few weeks ago, a few months ago, one of the games that they had is they had some of the leaders blindfolded on the stage laying down. And um, they were to see how many M&Ms they could eat while being fed to them while they were blindfolded. Um, but what they didn't know is, is that they were having the kids use their feet to pick the M&Ms up and drop them in their mouths. Uh, what? Just be, be, be wary. Who picked that game, by the way? Was that Kyleen? <laughs> the guilty. So they have a lot of fun down there, and, um, and you guys will get to experience that. You know, we average... On any given day, you know, around 30 to 40 kids down there for after school and on the weekends, 
um, anywhere from 120 to 150-ish, somewhere around there, kids. So, um, guys, that's unheard of what God's doing through that ministry in anywhere that I talk, where there's that kind of a youth ministry, if you will, that's into the community that is, is reaching kids in the way that um, God is reaching kids through the Bridge Youth Center. And so please come be a part of it. Thank you those who already support it. And um, it's an awesome thing. And we do. We are for the greater um, uh, church as a whole. Um, we're not ecumenical uh, in that there is one gospel message. And under that banner of Jesus Christ being our Lord and Savior and salvation by grace through faith, we do commute and, uh, commune and partner with other churches. And this morning, I just want to be reminded of that as we take time um, to acknowledge other churches in our community and pray for them. I want to pray for the Skyline Mennonite Church this morning uh, before we get started. And um, before we get into our actual study, I wanted to, to, to just touch and talk briefly about what's going on in the world. Many of you know, you probably all know, that Russia invaded Ukraine and attacked Ukraine. And there are people who are suffering, uh, Christians and, and non-believers alike, in in Ukraine, um, at the hands of an evil person and an and evil agenda. And um, we definitely want to keep Ukraine. And um, even the, I saw, I even saw that there were protests in Russia, Russian citizens that were rising up in protest against what their country, what Vladimir Putin had done. Um, I will tell you this, this does have uh, connections to biblical prophecy. Um, and maybe not specifically with this, but it, it we see again as Russia becomes an aggressor and China begins to saber rattle with Taiwan, and we see these two um, these two nations that appear to be spoken of in the book of Ezekiel preparing for um, end time events that we know are going to take place. Um, you guys should be excited. Not excited for what we see going on in the sense of the suffering, but excited in the sense of the Bible foretells of these things um, as preludes. I mean, like like knocking on the door for the Lord's return. And um, if you want to know more about that, I would encourage you to study Ezekiel chapter 37 and 38. Go to the book of Daniel and read through there and, and see some of these things and connect some dots. It's real obvious um, that we're in the end times. And, um, you know, as we began this year as a church, the, the message to the church was for us is to be living with expectancy as we wait for the Lord's return. And I didn't know at that time that Russia would start to do what it's doing and China would begin to do what it's doing. We just knew and sensed it in our heart and our spirit that, that, that we needed to be focused on living with expectancy and waiting for the Lord's return. And if, if, if it doesn't come to, ba- come to pass in the next year or the next year or so, I, I challenge you with this. How can you go wrong living with expectancy as you wait for the Lord's return? But, but how, how could you go wrong if you didn't and the Lord did come back and you were caught off guard? One of the things I want to touch on is just by ways of reminder, because with what's going on in the world today, we should be all that more aware of living with expectancy, checking our heart. Guys, it's not just about outward behaviors, and I want to encourage you that. Don't become religious. Don't become legalistic as you see the Lord's return coming and going, I need to live like this, and I need to be like that. Uh, really, what you need to focus on, we need to focus on, is, is, is a heart in a right relationship with God. Is your heart in a right relationship with the Lord? 
And if it is, then you will be loving God and then through that loving others, just like Christ told us we should be doing. And with that, as we live for expectancy, knowing that Jesus is coming soon, so there's four things that I shared with the church at the planning meeting, and I want to share this with you guys again. If Jesus is coming soon, we should not lose hope. Amen? If Jesus is coming soon, we should not lose hope, and we should be encouraging other believers. Paul tells us of that, to encourage each other with this knowledge, with this truth that Jesus is coming soon. If Jesus is coming soon, um, or I'll put it this way, because Jesus is coming soon, we should be sharing the gospel message. We should be doing the work that Jesus has left us to do, that God's left us to do. And today in Mark chapter 4, we're going to be looking at the parable of the sower, and we see that that seed is to be scattered. The Word of God is to be scattered. And, and that's what we've been left to do. And because Jesus is coming soon, number three, we should be about kingdom business. I love what it says in 2 Timothy. It says, No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. We have a mission. We have a mission. And we need to stay on mission because the Lord is coming soon. And lastly, as by way of reminder, guys, because Jesus is coming soon, you should be ready to go. Are you ready to go? (laughs) Are you ready? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for this time that we have together this morning to worship you to hear about the work that you're doing in and through our church, the ministry of the bridge, and as we partnered with other churches for the Winter National Retreat that took place last week, Lord, and we pray for the seeds that were planted there to take root into good soil, Lord, that into the hearts and the minds of these young adults that have made commitments for you and rededicated their lives to you and are committed, Lord, to pursuing you in spite of all the hard and difficult and uncertain things that are going on in this world today. Lord, that, they would, that, that, that your word would take root and that it would produce fruit in their lives, Lord, and this next generation as they wait for your return, Lord, that they would be a powerful force for you and for your name, Lord, that they would be lights, that their lives would be changed, and Lord, that they would be a testimony, a witness, a witness of your great love to um, the, 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 their peers around them and to this world, Lord, that is, is quickly passing away. Lord, we know that your return is imminent, pray, God, that you would help us to live with expectancy today. And, Lord, as we study through Mark chapter 4, may we see, Lord, that um, our heart needs to be right with you. Lord, there are so many things that can um, create bad heart conditions within us. Um, And it's a struggle. It's a battle, as Paul writes, a battle. But, Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the through the study of your word, Lord, we can be transformed and conformed to your image. Lord, we can stay on on track to the mission that you've called us to do, Lord, and we would be ready then for, for your coming whenever it happens. And Lord, as we pray for the other churches in our community, we do pray for the Sky, for um, Skyline Mennonite Church. We know, Lord, that they, they work hard in our community to help serve and to tell people about you, Lord, um, that they meet the needs of so many in this community who are hurting and suffering, and they even financially commit to serving or to supporting the Bridge Youth Center. And we thank you for their giving hearts and their giving attitudes, Lord, to, to build your kingdom and to glorify your name and pray a blessing upon them today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 4, verse 1, it says, And again he began to teach Jesus by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea, and then he taught them 
many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, listen, or hear, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some of the seed fell by the wayside and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell on thorns amongst the thorns. Then the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundredfold. In verse 9, and he said to him, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Let him hear. But, verse 10, when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. And verse 13, Jesus said to them, Do not... Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So there's a, there's, a, there's a thought being conveyed there that with the understanding of this one parable, then all the other parables that Jesus would go on to teach would be unlocked through this understanding, through this knowledge. And in verse 14, Jesus said, The sower sows the word. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on the stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And verse 17, they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises, For the world's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among the thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. And he also said to them, you know, let's just stop there. I don't think we're going to get any further than that today. So we'll see. There's a lot there, right? Yeah. And as we've been looking at the ministry of Jesus through the eyes of Mark, right, we've got to remember again that the servant of God, the things that Jesus did primarily fell into two categories in order to fulfill his mission as described by Mark, right? To come and serve and save mankind. And and, and these two categories, if you will, that everything that, that, that Jesus did in order to fulfill his mission, the first is the miracles that we see and, and read that, that Jesus performed. And then there are also the teachings. So we have the miracles of Jesus, but we also have the, the, the teachings, the things that Jesus preached. And both of these facets of Jesus' ministry were always for the underlying purpose of seeking and saving the lost, right? And that's the lens that we continue to view what we even read today. How does this fulfill or fit into the mission that that Mark gives us about who Christ is and what he came to do? In fact, what we know is that there are many times when, when, when Jesus used the miracles that he performed as examples, right? Or as evidences 
to support not only who he claimed to be, but to, to back up the things that he had been teaching them. While there were other times, not to not to to not notice this, but there were other times when Jesus did a miracle simply because he was moved with compassion for the people. We're told he loved them, he cared for them, those who he encountered. The the mostly we see that was the ones that the rest of the world rejected, right? That Christ was there. However, as a result of the miraculous things that he did. And the things that he taught, as a result of that, we clearly see some things through this gospel message in that the Hebrew people were now divided into two groups, right? There, were, there was those, one group, who were for Jesus, and they were gladly following Jesus wherever he went, listening to the things that he was teaching and receiving them to themselves. And yet there was this other group, and we read about it a couple of weeks ago, when we began Mark chapter 3, this other group who was against Jesus. And, and at this time in the ministry, we were even told that they were plotting against Jesus together to see how they might destroy him, how they might take him out. But I love it, this, this opposition. This, this opposition didn't deter Jesus from his mission. It didn't deter him from continuing to teach the truth, from performing many miracles, even though what he said and what he did was to, considered to be controversial by them. At the beginning of this chapter, if you look back to the beginning, we're told that Jesus was back at the Sea of Galilee. And we see him again teaching the crowds of people who were gathered there to them, to him. And, and we know that Jesus had left the cities and he had uh, this, the, 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 the Sea of Galilee and Capernaum. And he and his disciples were going from village to village to village at this time. And they were actually kind of outside of the villages because of the, uh, um, the, 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 this, this group of people who were in opposition to him. And people were coming to him. But in regards to the, the timeline of events that we're now reading about, there's a key thing that we learn in the Gospel of Luke. I don't want to bring you to your attention. But in the Gospel according to Luke, it tells us in chapter 8 that as Jesus was traveling about, as he was preaching, he was bringing what it says specifically, the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. Now that phrase is used over and over again throughout Scripture. And it's specific in this reference of, of, of glad tidings is literally, it's literally when you see it, when you see it translated into other pieces of scripture, it's literally the good news, right? We refer to the gospel as the good news, right? The good news message, the message which tells us about the coming of God's kingdom. It tells us about God's plan of salvation, which, by the way, is the forgiveness of sins, our sins, by God's grace through our faith in Jesus, who is the Redeemer, who is the only begotten Son of God. And this specific reference to the message of glad tidings or, or of good tidings, same thing, it's found, like I said, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And when you take those threads of that of that 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 language that phrase through the old and new testament some very cool things are revealed for example in isaiah chapter 52 verses 7 through 10 it's it's a prophecy given through the prophet isaiah it says this it says how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news who proclaims peace who brings glad tidings of good things who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Your watchmen shall lift up their voices, and with their voices they shall sing together, for they shall see 
eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. Break forth into joy. Sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has made bare His holy arm in, 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 uh, in the eyes of all the nations. It's like He's flexing, right? He's showing His guns. And it says, And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. A good news message of glad tidings from the prophet Isaiah foretelling of the coming of the Messiah. And this good news message of God's salvation is the same message of glad tidings that we read about in the Gospel of Luke when the angel came and appeared to Zacharias. Remember, the angel told him that his wife, who was advanced in years, would conceive a son. A son who we come to know as John the Baptist, right? A son who would prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. And that angel said, this is a message of glad tidings. It's a good news message. And then this message of glad tidings was also spoken, if you remember, to the shepherds in the field on the night that that Jesus was born. And again, in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 11, it says, Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this message, guys, as we now bring this to where we're at in, 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 in Mark chapter 4, this message from the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament of glad tidings is important to identify because this is the good news message that Jesus had been preaching throughout every city. Throughout all the villages. And it is what is underlyingly being presented to us or being referred to within these parables. Within these parables, whenever there is a mention of the Word of God. What does that mean, the Word of God? It's this message, this good news message, this gospel message, this message of glad or good tidings. And at the end of chapter 3, we read that Jesus had started to teach those who were following him with parables, right? That's where we begin to see this transition at the end of chapter 3. And a parable, it it literally means to to cast alongside or to set aside. And it it is simply presenting an earthly example in order to reveal a spiritual truth. It's the use of an earthly example in order to reveal a spiritual truth. And Jesus began to teach with these parables, we know, because this group, because of this group of people who were plotting against him and even accusing him is because of some of the things that Jesus was teaching of being demon-possessed. And we know that they had hardened their hearts and they refused to believe in Him or in the things that He had been teaching. And it was a process of rejecting, of rejecting, of rejecting, of hardening their heart, hardening their heart. And then finally solidifying that and then coming against Him as an adversary. Therefore, as Jesus continued to openly teach about spiritual things, as He was bringing this message of glad tidings, telling about the kingdom of God, He taught in such a way now that only a true seeker of the truth would be able to fully understand. Consequently, those who would not believe, those who had rejected Jesus up to this point, they would hear the words, but they wouldn't understand what was being said. And in the first 20 verses, 
there are three specific lessons for us in these verses that we read. Three specific instructions given to us in light of God's Word. Literally in light of the good news message that we today want to continue to seek to understand. And so for those of you who are taking notes this morning, these three lessons can be summarized in this way. The first is, hear and receive the Word. The second is, hear and share the Word. And thirdly, the last lesson um, for us to understand is to, to, to hear and obey the Word. And that's what we're going to look at as we go through these, these verses and through these parables. And as we go through these parables, I want to point out, it, it, it's, it's come to my attention over and over and over again throughout this whole week as it is outlined and called out here in the Scripture. But this word here, this call to hear, is, is spoken or given nine different times within these 20 verses. And the Greek equivalent of this word is the word akouo, ak- and it means this, to consider what is said in order to learn. It, it means to listen with a spiritual understanding and receptiveness in order to comprehend and understand. In fact, this exact same Greek word, um, akouo, is used in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, where the Apostle Paul, he writes, and it's a familiar passage, he says, so faith comes by hearing, akouo, and hearing by akuo by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And whenever we're confronted with the word of God, there's a call to faith, a call to believe, to hear, to receive, to obey, to share. And with this in mind, we see in verse 3 that Jesus begins by calling the twelve and calling those who were in the crowd to listen, calling us this morning to listen, to hear, to give attention. And, 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 and to spiritually consider, okay, we're looking at things now with a spiritual lens, right? To spiritually consider what he has and is about to say. And in doing so, it'll help us to understand the overall lessons that Jesus is teaching, these three that we just mentioned. And in this first parable, this parable of the sower here, Jesus described something that all the Hebrew people were very familiar with. They were living in an agrarian culture, an agrarian society. And, and they would have been familiar with a, a farmer who was casting seed on the ground and then seeing the seeds falling on different types of soil. And Jesus was using this earthly example in order to reveal spiritual truth. And in doing so, Jesus said that the farmer scattered the seed and some of it landed by the wayside. And this, were, this was specifically the paths that separated the fields. The, the roads that were in between that allowed people to get from field to field without damaging the crops themselves. And because this ground was always walked on by people and by livestock, it was packed down. It was hard. And so you can imagine how this illustration would reveal that any seed that landed on this part of the ground, e- even though it was soil, it would only rest on top of it. It, it could not penetrate down into the earth. And consequently, it made it easy for the birds to fly and to consume, to, to, to land there, to pick it up easily and devour the seeds. And Jesus said, this is, this is what, what took place. And then he went on to say that some of the other seed landed on stony ground, another, another condition of soil, another different type of soil, ground that, that had a little bit of earth, a little bit of, of topsoil. And even though these seeds were able to 
to find their way into the shallow parts of the soil. And even though they began to grow, that they would sprout up. And, 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 and what we know is, is that they, even though they sprouted, they couldn't take hold. The roots couldn't take hold because of the rocks that were the stones that were right beneath the, 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 the surface of the earth. And eventually what we see is these sprouts, these young, tender sprouts, they withered away because they couldn't get the water or the the nutrients that they needed to survive. And there were still other seeds, we're told, that the farmer had scattered. And these seeds landed landed on better soil, and it allowed for the sprouts to kind of turn into plants and to begin to grow, but there were thorns in this soil. And it says that the thorns grew up alongside the plants, and and ultimately it, it obstructed their growth. It choked them out. And lastly, Jesus said that there were some seeds that had landed on good ground. And when they sprouted, they grew, and they yielded a crop for the farmer. And it's important to note, if you look in verse 7 here, it tells us that this seed that fell on the good ground, all of it produced, right? But not equally. Some of it produced to varying degrees. There was a multifold reproduction of the seed that entered the ground but the, the harvest or the produce of it was in varying degrees. And at the end of this story, once again, we read in verse 8, the emphasis again on listening or hearing that Jesus cried out to the people who had heard, those whom he had just taught and said to them, he who has an ear to let him hear, let him hear, let him ekuo. And again, I would challenge us this morning, if you've been a, a believer for any amount of time now, you've, you've heard this parable before. You may have even heard it taught before. You've read through it. And, and, and maybe perhaps the temptation this morning is to not give as much attention to what you're hearing here again today because you've heard it before. But I would challenge you even more so in light of these, these, these warnings given by Christ, this call from Christ to hear, to again hear, to let it, the Word of God, penetrate your heart and to, to allow the Holy Spirit to examine what's going on in our lives so that we can, again, make sure our heart's right as we live with expectancy as believers. That we would be, be brought to check and, and see what God would have for us. So he who has an ear to hear, let us hear. In other words, let us listen with spiritual understanding. Let us listen with receptiveness and consider what has been said so that we, again today, might learn and grow ultimately in our knowledge and understanding of our Lord and Savior and of His will for our life. And Jesus said this, we know again because He was speaking to these crowds who had been following Him. They had been following Him at this time. As I mentioned before, there were, there were those in the crowd, and, and maybe this fits us today, I don't know, those in the crowd who were only focused on on the temporal things of this life. There were others in the crowd who had hardened their hearts. And there were even some in the crowd we know from what we've been reading who were, who were spiritually dead at this point. And they needed a complete rebirth, a complete reawakening, if you will. And therefore, because they had been unwilling, there were certain groups in this crowd who had been unwilling to receive the Word. Again, the glad tidings of the Kingdom of God, which Jesus was preaching and had proclaiming. What we know is, is that they were... They were unable to understand the spiritual truths. And that's a scary place to be. Where you've said no to God, no to God, no to God. Maybe not overall, but in one area of your life. And and God turns you over to that desire, to that will, and and allows you to reap the the, the fruit of that, this, this no to God. 
where you're hearing but no longer listening. And God's calling us again today to pay attention. He's calling the people in the crowd to pay attention. And in light of this, we see how Jesus was pointing out for us, guys, even as we come to God's Word today and tomorrow and the day after that on our own, we need to remember that not all spiritual fruit, not everything that God wants to reveal to us is found right on the surface. God calls us to invest in that relationship with Him, to, to, to study and to know Him and to seek to know Him and, and, and to glean things that God wants to make known to us that comes as a result of spiritual maturity. So even if we have spiritual ears to hear, we must have a desire to know the truth. Do you have a desire to know the truth this morning? And, in, 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 in what that means is it, it has to have a willingness to disregard other things that, that we might have placed in the spot of what we know to be true. To know the truth, to receive the truth by faith. Again, receiving God's word, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Receiving looking to understand and to desire then to apply the truths to our lives in order that we may gain that understanding, in order that we might grow spiritually. And the point is, is that we may be able to hear with the ears, but are we listening with a heart that's willing to receive? And as we tune up and look forward to the Lord's imminent return, living with expectancy, we should be challenging ourselves in this way. We should receive this challenge to hear and receive, be willing to receive what's being revealed. Because if we're not listening with a willing heart, then we're not learning, right? If we're not here today with a willing heart, then we're not learning what God is wanting to teach us. And, and we're going to remain in a place of spiritual immaturity. And as a result, our understanding of God and of His will for our lives will be lacking, which in turn makes us spiritually weak. This is, this is the fruit of not hearing and receiving. You become spiritually weak. And when you become spiritually weak, we become vulnerable to the temptations of this life, to the temptations of our own flesh. Or we, 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 become where we, we live in this place where there's no spiritual fruit being produced in our lives. So the hearing and receiving God's Word is a key point to this parable. And I want to point out what the Apostle Paul writes to the Hebrew people in the letter in, in, in the in, in, in Paul wanted to write to the Hebrew people we think it's Paul I don't, I don't want to get into all that probably Paul who's the author of it but he spoke to the Hebrew people in this letter the author does about their spiritual immaturity he wanted to teach them and talk to them about the deep things of God and, and in Hebrews chapter 5 the author writes in verses 11 through 14 he says we have much to say to you And it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Guys, we can become dull of hearing. We can be lulled by this life. We can become content, not content in God, like godliness. uh, Contentment with godliness is great gain, but without that godliness, it just can become complacency. We can become dull, dull of hearing. Since you've become dull of hearing, he says, for Though by this time you ought to be teachers, and that's probably true of some of us here today, by now you ought to be a teacher. To the place spiritually in your walk with the Lord, the things that you've been taught, the things that you've received are now outflowing into the lives of people around you. He says to these people here, for this time, though by this time you ought to be teachers, he said you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. 
He says, you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child, speaking spiritually. But solid food, right? Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. In other words, as we come to this passage of Scripture this morning, I think the instruction and the warning is to not be a bottle-fed Christian. How silly is it for a 12-year-old to walk around with a bottle in their mouth or when they're hungry and, 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 and unwilling to pick up the knife and the fork and to eat what's been put on the plate, but rather to have their mommy or their daddy make up some formula and feed them. That's the spiritual imagery that Paul's placing here for us and, the, and that depth of maturity that Christ is calling us to enter into. See, God's, war, God's will is for us to desire the meat of His Word. And when we desire the meat of His Word, it requires us to put effort for on, on our part, effort, put for effort on our part to feed ourselves. And when we dig into God's Word on our own, we, we then exercise our spiritual senses and then we grow spiritually. So in verse 10, Jesus begins to break down this parable, right? And with this call to hear his disciples who had a desire to hear, we know they have a desire to hear because they come to him and said, we heard, but we don't quite understand. Please explain this to us. Open up our understanding. They wanted to receive the spiritual truths. And so they ask here in verse 10, what does this parable mean? And that's a comforting thought when you think about it because there's a lot of times that I come to God's word and I don't fully understand it. I'm like, what? I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Maybe it's you too. But God's faithful to make these truths known to us when we come to Him to help us to understand. The Bible says that the, the Holy Spirit is our teacher. And when we come to God's Word and we go to the Holy Spirit, we'll be taught. We'll understand. And because they had a desire for spiritual truth and a desire for the things of God, they, according to, to what Jesus said in verse 11, I love this, it said they would be given what was needed in order to understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Who likes a good mystery movie? I do. You know, some of them today are like very predictable. You know how they're going to end before they even begin. And there's no excitement to that. But I love a good mystery. And how about to be able to understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God? There's no greater thing to, to, undisco- to, 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 to unearth or to discover. And biblically speaking, a mystery isn't something you, you can't figure out. Rather, it's something that you wouldn't know unless God revealed it to you. That's what a biblical mystery is. A mystery of the kingdom of God. It's something that cannot be made known to you unless God reveals it to you. So in the biblical sense of the idea, we may know exactly what a mystery is or or what the mystery is, yet it is a mystery because we wouldn't have known it unless God had revealed it to us. Now, an important thing to take note of is the fact that in verse 13, Jesus said, I already kind of highlighted it a little bit, but Jesus said that this particular parable is a key. It's a key that can be used to unlock or to understand all the other parables. And by understanding what these things in this parable represented, one could unlock spiritual truths. Understanding the mysteries of the kingdom of God and all the other parables that Jesus would go on to teach. And in verse 14, Jesus began to explain and unlock these truths. And he did so by saying, here it is, very simply, right? The seed is the word. It's the word of God. It is what is scattered. Furthermore, in verse 15, we find out that the ground in which the seed is pictured 
landing on is a person's heart. The seed is the word. The ground is a person's heart. And in this illustration, we see that there are four different conditions of the heart. And lastly, we're told that the birds, who are the birds? The birds that devour the scattered word of God that lands on the soil, right, is actually the devil. It's Satan, the enemy, who comes to rob and steal and destroy. And then in verse 19, look, we're told that the thorns... What are the thorns? The thorns which had sprung up, they are an illustration or a picture of the cares, the riches, the pleasure of this life. Literally, the temporal things of this world. However you want to look at it, however you want to categorize it, that's what the thorns are. That creep into a person's heart and choke out the Word so that no fruit is being produced. So there's no spiritual growth, no maturity taking place. And it's that simple. You know, I've heard many, many different teachings on, on these things, and, and I'm like, I'm amazed at how one person can take what's been so simply defined for us and make it seem something or to be something else. And, and, and I don't think it's necessary to over-spiritualize over something that Jesus cl- clearly and concisely defines here. And so I'm going to leave it at that this morning. There's nothing else that needs to be brought forth in regards to the illustration. Yet in light of this explanation... I think the most important thing for us to look at is the conditions of the heart. That's the application part of it into our own lives where then we can make assured that we're spiritually growing. That is seen in relationship to us receiving the Word of God. When the seed of the Word of God is scattered, what what kind of heart are we having? Where is it landing? And, 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 And is it taking root? And in this parable, we see that the four conditions of a person's heart that are being represented in that there is the callous heart or the hard heart, right? There's the shallow, or I would even say a shallow heart is the equivalent of a selfish heart. We have the thorns represented as, as another condition of the soil and, 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 and ultimately a, 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 a illustration of the heart. And I think that can be defined or or described as the crowded heart. So we have the callous heart, the shallow heart, or a, or a, or a crowded heart. And then lastly, you know, we don't want to miss this, there's the good heart. The heart that's willing to receive. In light of these, we can understand that there are three enemies. So if we understand that there's, there's the word, there's, there's the heart and the, the different conditions of soil represented by the different conditions of a person's heart. We also need to understand that in this parable, there are enemies that each one of us faces today. Which can prevent spiritual fruit, what can prevent spiritual maturity, which ultimately can, can hinder the relationship that God calls us into with him and knowing him and knowing his will for our lives, receiving it, sharing it and obeying it. Three enemies. There is the world. Of course, there is our flesh. I think we're all very familiar with these things, but, you know, our flesh. And then lastly, there is Satan. There's the enemy. And with these things in mind, we see as we kind of connect the dots here now, that the wayside soil, which was the hard-packed ground between the fields, and and it's, it's, it's also important to note that it's, it's the part of the earth that wasn't tilled up, right? There was no plowing that took place there. 
and, 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 and it's likened to this hard heart or to the callous heart. And I like that word callous better rather than a hard heart because I think that callousness describes a process. You know, the ground just wasn't hard. It became hard as people trampled upon it, as the animals walked up and down, as it remained untilled. And the callous heart has the Word of God land on it, right? But the Word of God is then easily carried off by the birds, which is representative, clearly, we're told, by Satan. Satan will come to, to snatch away what has been cast upon a hard heart. And, and it's easy for Satan to do so because it doesn't penetrate into the heart. And we can have a hard heart today in certain things that God speaks to us. And the result will be the same when God's word isn't allowed to penetrate. And a callous-hearted person is this. It's simply someone who hears the word of God, but repeatedly resists. We hear the word, but we resist. We hear the word, we resist. God's speaking to us. The Holy Spirit's convicting us. The, the word of God is brought to remembrance over and over and over again. I don't know for you, hopefully it happens for you, but you come to a Sunday morning church service or you read in, 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 in your own personal time and it's like God's speaking the same thing to you. How did, how did the pastor know right where I was at and what was going on in my life? How come when I open up the word of God, it's the exact same thing over and over and over again? It's because God's trying to communicate to you. He's like, can you hear me? Are you listening? And He's faithful to continue to to reveal truths to us, to let us know what His will is and to make Himself known to us. But the one who has a hard heart is one who repeatedly resists. Not only resists, there's a suppression that takes place that we're told about in the book of Romans. It's not just a resisting of the truth, it's a, it's a suppressing of what we know to be true. We, we know it's true and we, 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 we turn away from it. And even deny what we've, no, what we've come to know, to know as the truth. And there's many various reasons for why this, this condition of the heart is, is revealed in our lives at times. But in other words, it, it, it means this. They're unwilling to receive God's word. There's an unwillingness to receive it. And they won't let it penetrate. We won't let it penetrate into our heart. As a result, there's no change in our life. There's no change. The Bible says that we're to be transformed and conformed to the image of God, the renewing of our minds by God's Word. No change in our life. However, this hardening of the heart does not happen instantly. That's why I like the word calloused. It doesn't happen instantly. The Bible teaches us that a calloused heart is the result of this ongoing and persistent resistance to reject the truth. Man, if that's you this morning... If you've been confronted with the truth that something God's been calling you to or revealing to you, don't continue to harden your heart. Don't resist. Don't allow another layer of hard callous to be placed upon it by resisting or rejecting or suppressing the truth. And sadly, here's the reason why, is when a person never receives the good news that God has for them, then they are vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. Not only will Satan come and snatch away what God had thrown out there in order to do a work that is in, then you'll be continuing on that path where it'll be more hard-heartedness, more hard-heartedness. In light of this, we should take heed and see that we must be careful not to harden our heart towards the Word of God. How does that happen? We tell God no. That's what's going on here. And when we tell God no, guys, this is what happens. The good things that He has for us is carried away. The seed, the Word of God that was casted was a good thing. 
We want that to land in our heart. We want that to take root in our heart so that good things, godly things are, are, are manifested and brought forth. The blessings of God, the will of God, the fruit of God. And man, when we harden our heart, we're selling ourselves short because Satan's coming just easily snatching it and carrying it away. It's like we've entered into agreement with Satan as we've come against, uh, resisted and, and come against the things of God for our lives. And it's worth pointing out, this is what I, this is what I think God's Word teaches us. I think God's Word teaches us that, that um, a hardness of heart is ultimately the result of unbelief. What do you think? Hardness of heart is ultimately the result of unbelief. And when we do not believe God or the truths found in His Word, I know this is real simple, but it's got to be said, we're never going to receive them. We're never going to have them applied to our lives. In fact, Scripture tells us when this happens, here's the, the other thing to realize, we're never going to enter into God's rest. We're never going to enter into the rest that God has for us. We're never going to receive the blessing that God wishes to bless us with. And the point is that the blessing and the rest of God where there's joy and peace comes through a soft heart that believes and receives God's Word. I think we're reminded of this in Psalm 95, which says, for he is, in verse 7, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion, as in the day of the trial of the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, they tried me and they saw my work. For 40 years, I was grieved with that generation and said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts and do not know my ways. So God says, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. The next condition of the heart is illustrated with the rocky soil. If you look at verse 16 here, it says that, as Jesus explains it, it says that, that, that the person who receives the word in this way does so with gladness. What does that mean to me? What does that mean to us? I think it means with emotion. Clearly, there's a gladness, there's a zeal, there's even a passion you know, there's an emotional response to the Word of God coming into their lives, being spread onto their hearts. And even though it sounds like a good thing, we see that, that it's not really a good thing because this heart is also described as being shallow, right? Consequently, what this person has received doesn't go down. It doesn't take root in their lives, And, and, and what is received does not endure the temptations, the temptations of this life, the temptations that the enemy brings, or even the trials of this life that are sure to come. In other words, when this person realizes receiving God's Word comes with a cost, it's like, you know, you, you read that, and it's like, yes, that's awesome. God spoke to me. And then you go out with it, you know, in your heart, and all of a sudden, it, it's not what you expected. It's like what, what was received is quickly, quickly dies away. There's this emotional response to it, but there's no willingness to allow it to do the work that goes on because there's a hardening underneath that layer of softness. And when a person realizes that receiving God's Word comes with a cost, when they realize then that it comes with this call to make a change in their life, um, the feelings of gladness quickly fade away. It's like, oh, 
and, and they choose to go back to doing th- things their way. They, they ultimately forsake the things of God that have been put into their life. And they're quick to flee to the next thing that might bring them to their next emotional high. And, and when a trial or a hardship comes that interferes with the, the feel-good only notion that, that some, somehow we can tend to believe that, that this is how Christianity is, is so that I can feel good and have good and, and all these things. Ultimately, this rocky heart is rooted, that's why I said I think it's rooted in selfishness. And, and it comes really with this attitude of when God's word is brought in, it's like, what can I get for myself now? Me, 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 me. And this attitude is void of, of what can I give. It's not, it's not a receiving for the sake of seeing what can be, be, what be blessed through, through my life with other people. It's, it's this attitude of what can I get for my, myself. And it's, and, and it's supposed to be this, this attitude of what, can I give? Clearly, Scripture teaches us that this is the hard attitude of those who follow after Christ are supposed to have, right? So when we allow for this kind of shallow heart attitude, we're willing to do what God has put on our heart, but the minute it becomes uncomfortable, the minute it becomes something that we didn't expect it to be, that excitement, guys, that gladness, if you will, that willingness to obey kind of fizzes away and we go back to our own way of thinking and to our own desires and wills and abandon what God's Word says. And I think this kind of heart is best described what goes on inside of us. The Bible talks about a, a battle, right? A battle between the flesh and the spirit. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Apostle Paul wrote about this and he said in Galatians 5, 17, he says the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish and we're called to put to death the desires of the flesh so that the word of God and God's will might live within us. I, I love how Paul personalizes this for us um, by his own life's example in Romans 7 and he says in verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, he says, but I am also of flesh. I am of the flesh, sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing that I hate. Anybody else ever relate to that? Yeah. That's, when that happens, it's because the seed of God is, there's a hardness still there in our heart beneath the surface where we go, yes, I want God's Word, but then it, then it becomes uncomfortable and we're like, no, you can have it back. It's that battle between the flesh and the Spirit. And he, says, he says, for I do what I I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. And for I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right. Here's the thing, guys. And this is why it goes back to relationship and dependency. That on our own, there's nothing good in us. He says, I have a desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And then I love as he goes on and he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this stony heart, this body of death? And he gives praise to Jesus. It's not the law. It's not rules, it's not regulations, it's not boundaries that we set up in our lives. It's relationship with Christ. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're sanctified, we're conformed, we're transformed through the reception of God's Word. 
there's hope even for the stony heart. Now the other seed that has fallen falls, we're told, we're told that these last two soils, they're good soil. Yet in this next example, there's a problem even in this, this soil that is receives it and, and where the plants can grow because it's ultimately checked out or choked out by the thorns. And this illustration re- reveals, again, a heart that receives God's word. But in this condition of the heart, we see how the things of this world, and I can relate to this, and I know that you guys probably can too, but the things of this world are so so competing for the place that God's word has found in our hearts. And in this situation, in this heart condition, ultimately the end work that the word was sent out to do was not done and it did not produce any fruit because it was crowded and choked out by these thorns, the things of this world. And the best way to describe this heart is to, I think, to call it the crowded heart. Maybe we have crowded hearts this morning. We're in the world and we're of the world when we're called to be in the world and not of it. Things of this life, the things of this world have no place for us. We're, we're citizens of a heavenly kingdom. We're sojourners. We're just passing through. None of these things can be taken as we go. So we need to check our heart. The temporary things of this life, along with the materialistic culture that we live in, you guys know this, they're daily competing, competing for a place in our heart. And we all are at risk of having a crowded heart. And as we all well know, it's, it's very easy to become preoccupied with this temporal life and in doing so lose sight of eternity. Stop living with expectancy for the Lord's return. We become ineffective for the kingdom of God. There's no spiritual maturity taking place. And as I see it, there are two main reasons for why a person's heart, why our hearts can become crowded with the things of this life. And the first is because our hearts are not being tended to daily. If you've ever tried to grow a garden, anyone? I gave up. Now I just have a couple of pots that I put some tomatoes and peppers in. But I can't grow a garden. I grow weeds. I'm good at growing weeds in my garden. I don't have to seed. They just pop up. I don't even have to water them. They grow. But think about that in relation to this spiritual illustration. If you've ever tried to grow a garden, you know that if you don't tend the garden, right? If you're not out there pulling the weeds on a regular basis, sooner or later you're going to have a what? A garden of weeds. And the same is true spiritually in regards to our hearts if it's left unattended. The other reason for having a crowded heart, as I see biblically as what we're told, is because of lack of contentment with God's provision. And man, that is a disease in the the world that we live in 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 the United States today. And it's evident by all the debt that we enter into as Americans. Not content with God's provision. And when we consider lack of contentment alongside a heart that is left spiritually unattended, we should see that they are connected together. In other words, this is what I mean. The heart that is being tended to, that is not being choked out with the cares of this life, will be content with God's provision. And we've all heard it said, right? The grass is greener where you water it, not on the other side. And so if we take care to water our hearts daily with the Word of God, receiving all that God has for us, we will be content with the provisions of this life that God gives to us. And we will be seeking to put more in and more in and more in and more in, crowding out the work and the will of God. And this leads to the last condition of the heart described in verse 20, the good heart or the heart that receives 
And, and we're told that this heart, this good heart, is the one that produces fruit. This is what it boils down to. And this is spiritual fruit, clearly. And the Bible teaches us that the receiving heart produces spiritual fruit, and it does so in a multifold way. And not only that, when you think about fruit in this aspect, the fruit that, we, the, that, that, that is manifest in our lives and it goes out into the lives around us, within that fruit itself is also additional seed, is it not? And there's this replication, this, again, this manifestation, multifold production of what God's doing in us and through us. And there are various types of fruits. And we're going to end with this this morning. Romans chapter 1, verse 13 tells us, do you know that soul winning is a fruit? It's a fruit. Soul winning. Romans 6, 22 says that holiness is a fruit. Romans 15, 28 says that giving is a fruit. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10 says good works are spiritual fruit. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 names praise as a spiritual fruit. All these things being manifested in our lives as a result of receiving God's Word. Making sure that our heart is in a good place. And ultimately, there's the list of fruits, right? Spiritual fruits in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23. It's not the exhaustive list, but it contains many of these things telling us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, long-suffering, meekness, faithfulness, self-control. And so in light of this, if the worship team wants to come back up, we should understand as we bring this back to faith, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, receiving it. Faith, let me tell you, is not a matter of IQ. It's not how much you can come to know. Faith is not a matter in IQ. It's not a matter of even education. It's a matter of faith. is a matter of humbly preparing the heart to receive God's truth. You want to grow, grow in faith? Prepare your heart to receive God's truth. Receive God's Word. And I'm telling you, listen guys, simply look around at the world that we're living in today. We need more faith today. I need more faith today than I did yesterday. There's a lot of uncertain things going on in this world that we live in and have been for a little while now that that can rock us in so many ways. I want to be a man of faith. I want to be one that speaks faith and truth into the lives of people around us so that they have the same hope that we have. But I have to humbly prepare my heart in order to receive God's truth. Receiving God's Word is where it all starts. But remember, faith comes by hearing and hearing, listening with spiritual understanding, with this receptiveness to the Word of God. This is where it all starts. But as we see from the parable, that's not where it ends. It doesn't stop there. For we're also called to share the Word. We're also called to obey the Word. And these are the principles that are taught in these other two parables in the rest of this chapter that we're going to look at next week. But we must be aware in, in the receiving part of it. Be aware. to devour, to crowd out the seed that, that God wants to plant inside of us. We must be aware that the flesh wars against the Spirit and can hinder the Word of God. And lastly, we must be aware that the world is competing. Satan wants to steal, our flesh wants to hinder, and the world wants to compete for our hearts. And I'll end with this, James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Therefore, be doers of the word 
and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of a word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and once again forgets what he is like. But one who looks into the perfect law, the liberty and preserves and perseveres, excuse me, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And Father, that's what we desire. We desire to be blessed by you, to be a blessing to others, Lord. So help us, God, again today to prepare our hearts to receive what you have for us, that when we go from this building this morning with these reminders, with these truths, Lord, that it brings forth an effective change in our lives. God, that we would know you more and be more like your son, Jesus. Lord, in the times that we're living in so that we may have rest and joy and peace and hope of the assurance of the promises that you've spoken to us, Lord. I thank you for each person here, Father, and I pray that that our lives would be submitted to you, that fruit would be born from our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.